You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. As you sit down, I'll say hi to the people joining us online today. Online today, if you uh, uh, are joining us, if you just let us know through the uh, platform you're using, we'd love to know that you're with us. Well, we are wrapping up the Book of Esther, and um, it's been a great uh, reminder of, of how God uh, works through the everyday circumstances of life. And um, you know, one of the reasons that I thought Esther would be a great uh, book to read is because of what we see happening in our country. Uh, as we see uh, things that we kind of take for granted, maybe for those of us who are a little longer in the tooth, uh, you know, things that, uh, you know, everyone kind of thought this book was the Word of God, and there was at least a respect for the church, and, you know, things were different um, when I was growing up you know, back in the 70s. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, things are, are changing. And, uh, um, you know, one of the things that I want us to think about in light of the book of Esther is what are, what are we to do in light of the fact that um, there is a, an assault on the church today? I don't know if you've recognized that or not yet, uh, but there is an increasing uh, desire to not just uh, politely disagree with one another over what the scriptures might say, but now there is becoming an increasing pressure for you to say that what that which is sin uh, is not sin. There's increasing pressure for you to celebrate uh, that sin, and if you don't, then there will be you're going to get shut down. Uh, you may lose your job in school. You're going to face a different kind of. Uh, persecution than you've ever had. Bullying is, it, it, is still happening in school. It's just happening in a different way now. And uh, uh, I'm sure that there's no one here who hasn't been impacted in some way by the things that are happening. I, I was um, in Canada this last, this last week kind of thinking about the future of our church this fall and ministry. And I was also reading some books. I, I read uh, Strange New World and uh, also, um, what's the Vody Bauckham? Fault Lines. Vody uh, Bauckham, a book called Fault Lines. And in, it, it, to, honestly, after reading those, both, both those books, you're like, ugh, this is not good. Like, it's not good. What's happening in our world is not good. And there is this cultural Marxism, which nobody uses that word because everybody's like, oh, wait a minute, isn't Marxism bad? But that's really what's happening, and what we're seeing is uh, tearing down of the family, uh, a tearing down of the church, and a, really a tearing down of everything that we've once known. That's the goal, tear everything down, and then we're going to rebuild it based on our new morality. So what are you supposed to do? Get angry? Is that what you're supposed to do? Get angry and, and do, you know, I don't know, storm buildings and do protests? Is that, is that what we're to do? That's not what we're to do. What we're to do is to stand firm in our convictions. We're to stand firm in our faith. We are to speak the truth with boldness and with love. And as we think about wrapping up the book of Esther, we've seen them 
They weren't pro-Yahweh at the beginning of Esther, right? In fact, Haman was leading an assault on the Jews. We, we learned last week 70, almost 76,000 people were killed, the enemies of the Jews, and these were the ones who still tried to kill the Jews even when it looked like a really bad idea. Can you imagine if God had not changed things? It could have resulted in what they intended, which was the destruction of the Jewish people. But God is faithful to his covenant, and God protected his people then, and God is with his people today. That's what I want us to remember. Because our God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. We can, we can have hope today and believe that even the circumstances that we're facing today will be used for our good and for his glory. And so we want to think about what we need to do in light of these days. And uh, you, 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 you've seen the, maybe you've seen the title. I've said, let's celebrate. And, and it might not seem like days to celebrate, but I, wanna, I want us to be re- reminded why we can celebrate, which is we have a great God. And we're going to be looking at three different attributes of him as we finish up the study of Esther. But before we do, let me just pray for us one more time. God, we thank you that you are on the throne. You and you alone. You're King of kings and Lord of lords. What you say, you do. Lord, there is no change in you. God, we're so thankful for that. Lord, thank you that you are the Alpha and the Omega. That, Lord, at the same time, you are our Savior this morning. You are our Redeemer. And we call you Lord, our Lord. This morning we all face a world that is changing, a world that is becoming increasingly hostile towards your truth. And God, we would pray that we would follow in the footsteps of faithful men and women from the past. That, Lord, we would learn from the Esthers and the Mordecais. That, Lord, we would learn that if we keep our eyes on you, then we do not need to fear. And, God, I would pray this morning as we wrap up this book that, Lord, your spirit would lead us and guide us. That your spirit would encourage us and strengthen us. And that, Lord, we would leave here differently than what we came in because of your word because of your spirits changing us to make us more like you. God, we thank you that we have this opportunity to study now. Lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Esther chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, just go ahead and slip up your hand. Esther chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 20 through the end of the book, chapter 10, verse 3. Esther chapter 9 beginning in verse 20, and it reads, And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same year by year, as the days in which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month that had been turned from them from sorrow into gladness, and from mourning into a holiday, 
that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written them to do. For Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them. And it had cast pur, that is, cast lots, to crush and destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that this evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, they called these days Purim, after the term pur. Therefore, because all that was written in this letter and what they had faced in this matter and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written and the time appointed every year, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation and every clan, province, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihel, and Mordecai, the Jew, gave full written authority confirming the second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus in, or, in words of peace and truth that these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed seasons as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had obligated them, and as they had obligated themselves and their offspring with regard to their fasts and their lamenting. The command of Esther confirmed these practices of Purim, and it was recorded in writing. King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea and all the, his, all the acts of his power and might and full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him. Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. So after God had delivered the Jews from their enemies, they were told that they should remember and celebrate. Remember and celebrate. And this morning, as we think about this, we want to remember and celebrate first the greatness of God. The greatness of God. As we read from verse 20 on, we see that there were the events that had taken place in Persia had been written down by Mordecai. He had, he had written everything that had happened um, concerning the Jews, the, the, the threat that had been against them, the, 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 the way that God had changed the, the tide and, and instead had resulted in their being delivered. Now, things had not happened as was humanly expected. And we've been talking about that as the weeks have went on, as, we, as the, the tides had turned. Things had not happened as was expected. What was expected is that they would be destroyed. When you think about it, they're, they're an insignificant people in a large empire. Insignificant to the empire, not insignificant to God. God who had made a covenant with them. And so God makes, had made a covenant with their father Abraham, and as a result of that, when destruction was going to come upon them, God instead saved them. And as we looked at last week, zero casualties. Like that was not expected. 
But that's what God had done. And so they are told to celebrate. God had saved them. He had put Mordecai in, a, in the place of Haman. He was second in command of the, of the nation. If you, if you have read the book of Esther in, in any amount of time, you understand that the king was basically a figurehead. All right? Whoever was second in command, they're really in charge. <laughs> right? And Haman says, let's do that. Okay. Now Mordecai says, let's do this. They're like, okay. Right? And, and, um, and so he's in the position not unlike Joseph was. And so he says, I want a letter to be sent. They had celebrated um, after these things. They had, had had rest. But now he wants to make it official. So he sends a letter about 3,200 kilometers would have been the furthest letters going out. But to all the Jews in all the empire, 127 provinces, it, it, the letter goes out to everyone, both near and far. And he says, I want you to celebrate what God has done. We were told last week, if you were with us, that they, there were some who were celebrated on the 14th because on the 13th they'd had gained the victory. But those in Susa had on the 13th and 14th defended themselves against their enemy. And so they celebrated on the 15th. And so he says that you are to celebrate on these two days. Not necessarily there would be a two-day festival, but on either of these days that they would celebrate and remember what God had done. Verse 22 reminds us that what they were to celebrate and how they were to celebrate They were to remember the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies. Now, what's interesting is that they celebrate the day after the victory. They don't celebrate the day of the victory when their enemies were killed. They they celebrate the deliverance. They celebrate the rest that God had given them from their enemies, which is that following day. And they're to celebrate the miracle of deliverance. It says, uh, 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 continuing on, verse 22, and as the month that had been turned for them into sorrow, into gladness, and from mourning into a holiday, right? It wasn't just that they didn't get what was coming to them. Instead, they have reason to celebrate, right? It wasn't just to a neutral position. God had richly bless them. And so they are to celebrate, they're, they're, they're to gather together. And, and uh, this word for gladness here, it refers to joy, pleasure, especially the experience and manifestations associated with joy and gladness. In other words, they're to celebrate with joy and cheer. All right? It wasn't, you know, one of those holidays where nobody smiles. Okay? They're, they're to like, they're, they are to, to, to full-on be in party mode, okay, is what we're looking at here. And, 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 and why? Because of what God has done for them, the greatness of God. They're remembering that. And so it's not just this party for party's sake. It is a party celebrating God. It is a, in many ways, a worship service. And so they, they are to come together. They are, they are to, they, they, they should make days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. When I first read this, I'm like, what's with the sending gifts to the poor? How does that figure in? How is this sending gifts to one another figure in? Well, how it figures in is that they're to celebrate together. Every Jew should be celebrating together. 
They should all have the same resources, the, the same pool from which to gather from to celebrate this thing. They all had deliver, been delivered together. All 127 provinces had been, where the Jews were, had been delivered. It's not unlike what we see in Nehemiah. After they read the word of God, they're like, wow, like, where was this? And they weep because they recognize their sin. But, but then they also are to celebrate together. And so it says in Nehemiah 8.10, go your way, eat the fat. That's good, right? Eat the fat. Drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Right? Send to anyone who has need so that we can all celebrate together as a people. They've all benefited, benefited from this powerful reversal that God has brought about. And so they should worship together. Why the name Purim or whatever? I'm sure it's pronounced different than that, but what I keep saying. Why that? Well, he explains because there was this casting of lots, and, 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 and apparently by the time this is written, he has to explain to them what the word per meant, right? Uh, there, there was a language difference here. It was in the Hebrew word that was being used, and so he's explaining that it meant to cast lots, and we look back to chapter 2 of Esther 2, and we see that that's what Haman did. He, 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 you know, it amounts to us rolling the dice, so to speak, to determine what they should do. Now, what he was doing was through divination. It was, like a, it was a cultic kind of thing for their gods. He wants to know when should, when should they persecute the Jews, and so he seeks his gods to do that. That's what he's doing by casting lots. This is not just some kind of random kind of thing. There was a, there was a spiritual element to it. And so they want to remember that element of it. When they cast lots, when Haman cast lots for to his gods, and God said, I'm in charge, not your gods. I'm the one who will decide what happens, not the gods of Haman. It says in Proverbs 16:33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. The Lord is in charge. And so he took his plans, Haman's plans, right? Haman was like, I should be honored. And instead, who was honored? Mordecai was honored. He had hung a gallows that he actually, he made a gallows that he was hung upon. And his 10 sons were also hung upon the gallows. Everything that they had intended to do to their enemies was now put upon them. God is the one who is in charge. It's interesting that still today, Jews celebrate Purim, right? Now, there's some additions added over 2,500 years. Uh, like they dress up in costumes. I'm not exactly sure how that got in there. But they still, they still send gifts to one another. They still give to the poor. They, they, still, they still celebrate on this day. In, it's usually in March. You know how the Jewish calendar is different than our calendar. So sometimes... Like a couple of years ago, it fell in February, but for the most part, falls in the month of March, and they celebrate together. We, what they do is they read the book of Esther, 
and they have this kind of fun tradition that every time Haman's name is mentioned, they boo and hiss, right? And, and then every time Mordecai's name is mentioned, they cheer, right? And there's like little noisemakers for the kids when it comes to, to Haman's name being said again. And, and then they also, especially those who would be more understanding of the significance of this, they also read Exodus 17, 8 through 16, which was where Moses uh, was told that the Amicalites would be blotted out from the earth, which was a fulfillment of what was happening here. So still today, the book of Esther has had a significant place in the life of Jewish people. About, oh, how many years ago would it be now? 80 years ago, the Holocaust, 70 years ago. During that time, the book of Esther was very significant to the Jewish people. They remembered, against all odds, how God had saved them from their enemies. And so there was, there was many, many people, even in, in uh, the camps where they would, they would uh, the prison camps, they would have a copy of the book of Esther, holding on hope that God would save them, that God would help them. And Job says this, the significance of the holiday and the message of the, Est- of the Esther story were not lost on the Nazis who would kill on the spot any Jew in the prison camps possessing a copy of the book of Esther. Yet the incarcerated, incarcerated Jews wrote copies of it from memory. The story of Esther was most precious to the Jews facing mass death because in it they found assurance and hope that they, not their enemy, would triumph against all expectation. Of course, as we look back now in history, we know, sadly, tragically, that the satanic plan of Hitler resulted in about one-third of the Jews being killed on the earth. But then, unexpectedly, they were given their homeland back. And so now, many Jews, when they celebrate Purim, it's back in Jerusalem. It's back in their homeland. And it's yet another piece of God working out his plan to the end. God is always faithful. He promised that his people, the Jews, would be here till the end of time. And as Satan continually has tried to destroy them over and over and over again, God has prevailed over and over again. As a people, we need to be like the Jews in celebrating God's greatness. We've done that this morning as, as remembering the gift of life. Every child is a gift from God. Some days, parents, you don't feel like that, but they are, okay? And God's using them to stretch you and, and purify you and make you more like Christ. But they are a gift from him, and we, it is right that we do things like we do this morning of, of celebrating those gifts of life and dedicating them to the Lord and saying, God, you have your way in these children's lives. That's what we desire. It is right that, that, that we have baptisms here together. We celebrate together when someone is added to the body of Christ. To, as they give testimony of what Christ has done in their life, it is a good and right thing for us to celebrate that together. And welcome that sister or brother in Christ to the family of God. It is right that we celebrate 
the Lord's Supper together because it is together that, which we, that we all together share in redemption. Everybody who is called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation is a brother or sister in Christ. And so we look together, we remember together and celebrate the greatness of our God that has brought about the redemption of our souls. It's good that we would remember and celebrate as the people of God. Let's be honest. It is easy to forget the greatness of our God once we leave here. When you go to your workplace and you feel like you're all alone and everybody's trying to jam the new morality down your throat. When you go to school and you wonder if there's another Christian in the entire school. When you go to your family gatherings and you are the black sheep of the family, so to speak, and everybody's like, What's, why are they so religious? What's their problem? Why can't they just get with the rest of us? It is good for us to remember the greatness of our God. We do that together. But I also encourage you to do it on your own. What are, what are some of the things, as you look back on your life, where, where the greatness of God has been highlighted in your life? Your salvation. If you remember the day, it's great that you would, on an annual basis, stop and praise the Lord for giving you new life on that day. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just making a point of doing something special to remember that day. In our family, we, we always remember December 14th. That was the day that hope almost died. There's many reasons to believe that, that if it was not for God's providence and power in her life, she would have been gone that day. And so every December 14th, we have a celebration of life day. We remember God's greatness in our life. We remember his goodness in our life. I just want to encourage you, let us be a people like that. We live in a world that is tearing down all of the past. That's the only way they can build their new future. And I want to encourage you, as the people of God, let us remember our past. Let us remember God's greatness. Secondly, remember and celebrate the faithfulness of our, of our God, the faithfulness of our God. Now, what's interesting, you, you have this letter sent out by Mordecai, but then we're told uh, another letter is sent out by Queen Esther. And I go, okay, uh, seems a little redundant, but this is what happened. And she sends out a letter as well to the all 127 provinces, to all the Jews. We're given a little bit of, of more information in regards to just some of the nuances here. This letter, it says, are, came in words of peace and truth. Words of peace and truth. In other words, these, these letters, these two letters together brought assurance to the Jewish people. They, they brought shalom. Shalom means health. Welfare, soundness, rest, harmony, and truth. And, and in the context here, it would maybe be better translated security. It helped them to know that they need, need no longer fear the circumstances that they were in. That, that God was with them. Even though they were in a, in a pagan nation, that God was with them. They need not fear. They need not worry. 
God has been faithful to them as a people. So the queen encourages the Jews to observe the days of Purim just as they had obligated themselves also to what? What did it say there? To fast and lament. Just as they had done in times of sorrow, just as they had done when Haman had sent out his original edict. What did they do when they, when they had that edict? They, they, they fasted. They, they put on sackcloth. They, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were looking to the Lord in that way. And she's saying, listen, just as you obligated yourselves to do that, would you also obligate yourselves to remember and celebrate and feast together? Now, it seems like, like well, how hard is that? I think sometimes it's harder for you and I today than it is to fast and lament. When we look around our world, there's a whole lot to lament. There's a whole lot to be sorrowful about. There, there's, there's a lot of, of wickedness and evil happening in our world, and it would be easy to do that, and at times it is right to lament, and it is right to fast. But it is also, as we're reminded here, it is right that we would gather and celebrate, that we would remember God's faithfulness together. Does that hit home a little bit? Like, when's the last time you're like, let's have a party for the Lord? When's the last time you felt that in your spirit? As Mark tried to encourage us this morning, like, let's remember our salvation. Let's remember what God said. Let's, let's get excited about these things. Let us, let, us re, let us celebrate God's faithfulness towards us. So this letter from Esther, it says it was confirmed what Mordecai had written earlier. It was confirmed in writing and it was established for all generations. In other words, if we remember anything about Persia, if it's in writing, it's done. It is set for good. And so this is being a reminder that this is what they were to do. That which they had done naturally the first time now was to be something that they would do for all generations, for all time. And I think it's fascinating. I think it's incredible that they're still celebrating today, as they ought to. Now, let's be honest. Probably not many are doing so for the right reasons. They're like, it's a great party. But they are forgetting it's about God's deliverance. It's about God's faithfulness. It's about God's greatness. And I think growing up in the church, you can become numb to the greatness of God. When it comes to Christmas, you're like, oh yeah, that's the day that God became a man. We remember that. But it's just here. Like it does not cause you to rejoice as it ought to. When it comes to Easter and Good Friday, when you think about our Lord being crucified for our sins, do you, does it still move you? Does it still, did it still get you excited to, to think about what kind of incredible love would do that? When you think about his resurrection on the Sunday, does it, does it, like, does it bring great joy to you? And, and, and does it, get, it excite you for what is still to come as he is coming someday soon? We ought to celebrate these things. God is faithful God is always faithful to his word. Do you believe that this morning? 
every word, you can count on it. And in these days where the world wants to destroy this word, you need to know this word. You need to know what God actually says. Can you say that this morning, that you know what his word actually says? You know, when we get into trouble is, is when we say, God said this, but he didn't. Why is that a problem? Well, it taints the name of God because you're saying God said something that he didn't. So it looks like he's faithless when he's always faithful. And then secondly, it discourages people because they're like, I trusted God to do that, and he never did that. Well, he's always faithful to what he actually says. And so can I just encourage you as we think about this as a church family, that you would continually be studying the word of God as an individual, and we do it together, right? Genesis is coming. Why are we studying Genesis in the fall? Because it is important that you and I understand our foundations. What is a man? What is a woman? What has God intended for sex? What has God intended for family? The word of God has answers to all of these things. All that we're being taught in our schools, through the media, our twisting of God's truth. And so we must know it. What is love? Your definition needs to be biblical. So you think about the book of Esther. Mordecai and Esther. In this pagan country. They weren't, you know, Mordecai wasn't some priest. He wasn't a prophet. He was just hanging out at the king's gate. Esther, before the beauty contest, I don't know what she was doing. But God took these two people and he changed the whole fate of the people of Israel. What could he do with a room like this? What could he do if, if we understood what it says in Esther 4.14, who knows whether you've not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? It's not a mistake that you live in 2022. God has placed you here for this time, in this city, for a particular purpose. He wants you to represent him before a lost and dying world. Job says here, God governs the universe toward a goal, and that goal is inseparably bound to the people he has chosen to bring into covenant with himself in Jesus Christ. In other words, God is working to an end goal, and he will use you for that end goal, towards that end goal. So stop listening to the media and the world and start listening to what, the, what God's word says. The media and the world will tell you that they don't want to hear it anymore. That's too bad. God's word says they need to hear it for it is the way of salvation. It is only through the gospel that people can be saved. God has promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Do you believe that this morning? 
That God is always faithful. Remember, even when you should suffer for his name's sake, that what you are suffering now is nothing to be compared with the glory that you will receive and that God is faithful to continue to build his church through people like you and I. Build your life on the firm foundation of his word and not on the shifting sands of the voices of our age. This week, I want to just encourage you, take time to recall God's faithfulness in your life. Maybe it's something you want to do as a family. Take time to recall God's faithfulness in your life and then celebrate him. Think of the different trials and two relations that you've had in the past and how God was with you through the trial and answered your prayers. Be like the Jews and resolve to celebrate God's faithfulness in the past, knowing that he is always faithful. Deuteronomy 32, 4 says this, The rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. He is our great God. I pray this morning that he is everyone here, that that you could say that, that he is your great God. And I want you to hear this morning, if he is not yet your great God, if you would repent of your sin and place your trust in him, he would be your God. He would forgive you your sin through Jesus Christ. So let us remember the faithfulness of our God. And then lastly, let us remember the goodness of God. The goodness of God. We see this in chapter 10, 1 through 3. We see in verse 10, or sorry, chapter 10, verse 1, that the king imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea. As you wrap up this book, you're like, okay, what? Taxes? Like, okay, there were taxes back then too, like... I guess that's just the way the world's always been. Like, why is this here? I was wondering that. And, um, and I, I think we're probably our best guess comes when we understand what came in verse 2. The might and power, the other acts of might and power of the king, are they not in this other book, right? Well, the mights and might, might and power of the king, what's happening here? Through the taxes, the Persian kingdom is becoming powerful. It's becoming great. Just as when Joseph was the second-hand man to Pharaoh, and he made that nation of Egypt great, we see the fulfillment of the covenant of Genesis 12, that those who bless Israel will be blessed. And so in all of these things, we, we see that God was at work through his people. God is good. God is good. Then it says this in verse 3. For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. It's interesting as you, as you trace through the scriptures. I mean, God had given them their homeland, but once they left, it wasn't as if God forgot them. Think about Daniel. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Think about here with Mordecai, how God continually is putting his people in places of power. For what purpose? So that his people would be taken care of. That his people would be brought security in peace. He did this through Mordecai. 
There's some question as to Mordecai's character. Was he a good guy or not a good guy? I mean, I, I think the text shows us over and over again that he was a man who looked to God who was faithful. And even think about this. He's the second most powerful man in the world. What might that do to someone? If they were taken from the king's gate where he had been wearing sackcloth to being in the palace with the king, basically able to do whatever he wants to do because the king's just going to listen to you. I mean, what might that do? And what's interesting with Mordecai is as he was for his people in the gate with sackcloth on, lamenting and praying for his people, now he, in a position of power, is doing exactly the same thing. He's not changed. God is with him and God is for him. And he is for his people. And he's a great example of what you and I should be. Even if you think about Jesus Christ and and as he was living on this earth, what did he do? He sought the welfare of his people and he spoke peace to all people. Do we seek the welfare of one another? Does that mark us as his followers? It did in the early church. You think about passages like Acts chapter 2, how they cared for one another. If anyone had need, they would help that person. That ought to be the way it is here in the body of Christ, in this church family, that we are continually loving and caring for one another sacrificially, not thinking about ourselves, but how we might seek the welfare of one another. This is what God calls us to do as his people. Well, the book of Esther, it's a fascinating book if we think about the unique way, in many ways, in the book of Esther, how God used everyday circumstances to bring about his will, to bring about his purpose. We're reminded that he is in control. Job says this, the book of Esther suggests that divine concurrence operates in every human decision and action to move history to its appointed end. The author of Esther begins his story with the worldly and unreligious events of Xerxes' lavish war council and Vashti's refusal to obey him. Neither of these people worshipped Yahweh, nor were they aware of his involvement, yet without Xerxes' pride and Vashti's defiance, Esther would not have come to a royal position for such a time as this. God is over it all. And you and I need to remember that today. I know many of us struggle with our current leader in our work country. But God is in control. He'll be there until God says, you're not here anymore. And we need not to look to that for our hope. We need to look to our good God. The one who has already told us the end of the story through the Apostle John, through the prophets, we know how it will end. There's going to be an increase of wickedness on this earth. There's going to be a lot of people saved. There's going to be a lot of Christians killed for their faith. But God wins. God wins. And in your life, what God is needing you to do is to look to him each and every day in everything that you do knowing that everything you do has some significance. Like, really? Everything? It seems like that when we look at the book of Esther. Because some queen saying, I'm not coming to that man's place. 
wound up using, being used for God to save an entire people. Everything matters. There are no small things as, life, as, as, as believers. So we think about the events that we live in right now. It is good and right to lament the evil that we see on this earth. But let us also be quick to remember that God sent his son for wicked people that they might be saved from being slaves of wickedness and instead become slaves of righteousness. Let us be bold and be quick to proclaim hope and change that comes through Jesus Christ. Let us remember that all that the world is trying to attain through wicked means is given to us through Jesus Christ. How many people long for community? How many people long for a place where they would feel like they belong and and that they would be accepted and, and loved? Is that not here? In such a much greater way than anything that Satan in the world could come up with? The community that you long for, it should be seen right here. When they come here, they should say, I want that. I want what you have. How did you get this? How did you become a part of that community? It should point them to Jesus Christ. As you read about the, 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 what the world is teaching right now, they're saying, look to yourself. Look to your inner self. And everything that self wants, that's what you should pursue. And we know from what the scriptures tell us that that pursuit is futile. I mean, read the book of Ecclesiastes. You do that over and over and over again, and you get, like Solomon, Solomon, you get everything that you could ever want. Guess what? It's all meaningless. It's all hopeless. You wonder why the suicide rate is going up and up and up. It's because when you pursue self, you wind up with nothing. But if you pursue Christ, you get everything. And you and I know that this morning. Do you rejoice in that? Do you celebrate that? Do you tell everybody that you can, look, I get it. You're searching for something, but can I tell you what that something is? is You need to be reconciled to the one who created you. You need to worship him, for in that you will find life. So maybe they see what it says in Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. As the Western world increasingly comes against the church, let us remember and celebrate the goodness of our God. Today, we do not have Mordecai seeking our welfare. We have Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. He is for you and not against you. He promises to be with you to the end of the age. He has sent the Holy Spirit to be with you, to be your counselor, to be your comforter, to empower you, to walk in righteousness. He has given you the church to encourage you, to teach you, to strengthen you, to care for you, to weep with you, to rejoice with you to remember, and to celebrate with. Christ has promised that he is building his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. For 2,000 years, Satan has sought to destroy the church, but he will never succeed. When he has has martyred believers, guess what happens? The church grows. The church is strengthened. And so in these days, as the world comes against us, let us Be joyful. 
Let us remember that our king is for us and not against us. And I believe that as the increasing pressure comes against us, the church is going to grow. The church is going to be strengthened. Instead of mourning all the things which we lost, let's let's be honest, church. We kind of wanted this to be heaven for a while, this place, earth. We, we, we like our luxuries. We like our comforts. We, we kind of like, you know, this, the world to go as we had hoped and planned. But we are sojourners. We are aliens on this earth. And so instead of seeking our plans, let's look to the Lord and his plans. I don't have time for it this morning. But I want to encourage you. Turn to Acts chapter 4, read and meditate verses 23 to 31. Acts chapter 4, 23 to 31. And there you see the apostles remembering that everything that happened with Jesus was according to the plan. And what did that make them do? It made them pray and seek the Lord and say, God, you see the enemies coming against us. Help us to boldly proclaim your truth. May that be our heart this morning. Let me pray. Lord God, we're so thankful for this time together this morning. We're so thankful for your word. It's so faithful and true. We're thankful that, Lord, you never leave us nor forsake us. And God, I I think about our congregation here this morning, how many are burdened today by the opposition that they face right now. God, you know exactly what I mean by that. Lord, you know exactly what is going on in each heart here today. And God, I would pray that you would help them to remember that you are great, that you are faithful, and that you are good. That, Lord, you are with them right now. You have placed them where they're at for such a time as this to represent you that the world might see Christ. God, help us not to shrink back. Lord, that's our tendency. Lord, we want to go hide. We want to run away. But Lord, help us to stand firm. Help us to stand in truth and in love for your name's sake. And God, Lord, if there be anyone here this morning who does not know you, God, would you help them to, 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 to see the truth that you love them so much that you laid down your life taking their sin upon yourself and if they would repent of their sin today and put their trust in you Lord that you would forgive them of their sin and be reconciled to them making them new creations Lord that they might be freed from this world and to live for you God we love you use us we pray in this coming week we pray in Jesus name Amen Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.